Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Manny Fishman uh, of the Buckhalter Law Firm, and we're here today to continue our discussions on uh, the impact COVID-19 is having on real estate. With me today is Brad Hoff, an insurance lawyer at the firm. Brad has over 25 years of experience in representing policyholders. Those are the businesses that are insured under the policy, and Brad represents policyholders in disputes with insurance companies. Uh, Brad has provided critical support and advice to the real estate group during the COVID-19 shutdown, and his expertise is even more important now as commercial building owners, operators, and their tenants try to reopen and look to the future and look to their insurance policies. So Brad, let me start off. Uh, there are two common insurance policies that businesses have, whether they're owners of buildings or uh, tenants of buildings or owner users. And those are the general liability policy, the commercial general liability policy, and the property insurance policy. Um, I know it's a broad question, Brad, but do these policies offer any options for recovery for policyholders due to COVID-19 losses? Yes, uh, good to be with you, Manny. I, I, it is a broad question, but frankly, when you analyze coverage for whatever loss or liability there may be, it's, in my experience, best to start broadly and then drill down uh, as the facts develop and focus on the, the key provisions in any policy. Yes, a general liability policy, like it sounds, covers the policyholder's liability to third parties for certain things. Namely here, bodily injury. Let's say someone is, suffers from contamination as a result of accessing a contaminated uh, property or property damage itself. And that's, that's a little more fleeting, but it's uh, the coverage one would look to if they have a claim made against them in this instance for COVID-related liability. Uh, on the other side, you have the commercial property policy, which like it sounds, it covers uh, the property of the policyholder, be it the building or be it the leased premises. And critically important in the COVID context, uh, it not only covers most, or if not many, many if not most uh, commercial property policies include a business interruption or a business income loss coverage, which is what uh, is triggered when a, an otherwise covered property loss results in the loss of, of additional expenses and business income loss, which is what so many businesses are suffering from right now. There's, there's a lot to unpack there, Brad. So let me uh, have people focus a little bit on what you said. Uh, first of all, a commercial general liability policy is insurance against third party claims. So in the COVID-19 context, uh, uh, an example of a loss that might be covered by your liability policy is if uh, someone sued a building owner or a tenant because they were contaminated or exposed to COVID-19 uh, in your building or the premises. That's a third party claim that would be covered under a commercial general liability policy. Uh, for the first party claim, which is a property insurance, something you as a business have experienced a loss in, I agree, the primary focus would be loss of business or business interruption. But a key thing that you said, and I, 
hope you can elaborate on it, is that is additional coverage based on a otherwise covered loss. Well, in COVID-19, what is the covered loss? It's an excellent question, and it's a question that's being addressed nationwide, federal courts, state courts, multiple levels, trial court, appellate court level, and we're learning a lot more about how the courts are, are, are looking at these issues. But I can say that you must view a, a commercial property policy in the first instance, the front door to that policy, through which you can reach the business interruption or the business income loss coverage, is found in the main insuring clause, which, they, hey, hey, Policies are like snowflakes. They look the same from a distance, but they're very, they're all different up close. But generally speaking, in a standard form policy, that you need direct physical loss of or damage to covered property. That is the, the crowning moment. If you have that, then you look at exclusions and you look at additional coverages. Uh, but again, you need to get through that front door. And a lot of the case law and decisional law these days is going through the question of, are these COVID-related circumstances, and any business might have slightly different circumstances they're facing, you know, given government uh, edicts and, and actual contamination and property shutdowns, it, does the COVID circumstance facing a given policyholder business, does that constitute direct physical loss of or damage to covered property? And, if, and, and a lot of the decisional law that we're seeing is really zeroing in on that. Um, and sometimes starts and ends there because courts have and in certain instances found uh, or in many instances found that, 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 that the COVID situation, the threat of contamination by itself does not constitute direct physical loss of or damage to covered property. Other, other courts have gone differently though. So, This is where Brad's expertise is of such value to the real estate group. Um, people have purchased their insurance policies uh, through agents or more sophisticated clients may have their own in-house risk management department. But looking and interpreting uh, the insurance policy often requires the expertise of a lawyer. Um, and as Brad said, I really like that example that policies are like snowflakes. They may look the same from a distance, but you actually have to read the policy and understand how courts have interpreted words. And uh, that is where Brad brings a lot of the expertise uh, to the real estate group. Uh, and as Brad said, there is litigation going on uh, that is trying to understand uh, what it means to have physical damage to property when you have a loss and you want to assert a claim for a business uh, interruption. It's also important, Brad, I assume, to understand the exclusions. Uh, presumably, insurance companies have developed exclusions over time, and it, this might be a totally excluded loss. Yes, there, there are. I think you can look at there's kind of two types of policyholders looking at, the, you know, waking up in the world of COVID, unthinkable as it is, and, and digging out their policies. There's the, uh, what I think is the very common policyholder, commercial policyholder or business policyholder, that's saying, oh my gosh, I never expected this to happen to our business. What do we have? And they're really looking at their policy anew for this subject. They may have had a fire. They may have had water damage. You know, they may have had any number of things, but they probably didn't buy their policy thinking, well, what about a global pandemic of, of many months in length? Um, uh, that's the main policyholder we run across because they, we really do have to dig down, look at the, their particular circumstances, and then drill down on what their policy says because they're reading it for this loss for the very first time probably ever. Um, and frankly, a lot of the policyholder attorneys, like myself, 
we are spending time looking at policy provisions that over a 25-year career, we haven't had much reason to look at very closely. And I'll jump to the exclusions moment in a second. There's uh, or question in a second. The, the, the second type of policyholder is the policyholder that says, oh, I'm so glad we bought that policy. And it's a rare policyholder in my experience, where they say, I'm so glad we got that, that endorsement that changed the standard policy, or I'm so glad we got that standalone coverage for a global pandemic. They are rare, but a great and much uh, publicized example that I can offer you is, is the Wimbledon tennis tournament. Uh, Wimbledon for uh, 17 years paid, I think it's on average, a, a $2 million premium per year for pandemic coverage, essentially. And uh, of course, year goes by, there's another $2 million check, another $2 million check. Well, this year they recovered $141 million in coverage for their losses after having paid $34 million in premium. So that's a unique situation. Most of the listeners here are gonna be looking at their policy anew and saying, oh no, what do I have? This is a problem. Um, going to the exclusions, the, the, the first stop in, in, a, in a review of policies for a property policy for uh, a COVID-related loss is going to be what's referred to generally as the virus exclusion, virus or contamination exclusion. Um, there is not a per se standard form, uh, but there's a common form and, and the coverage is uh, applicable or the, sorry, the exclusion is generally applicable to loss caused by or resulting from uh, virus, pathogens, contamination. There's different language and that's really where the parsing comes in. What is the causation provision? Is this really a loss caused by? resulting from, relating to virus pathogen contamination. You know, how is that language and how do we parse it and how has that come down and how has that been interpreted in courts throughout the country thus far? Uh, there are additional exclusions that carriers sometimes invoke um, and that are, you know, there's, a, there's pollution exclusions and carriers may take the position that, that a virus is a sort of broadly defined contaminant or pollutant. Um, and, and there are others as well. There's sometimes there are contamination, there's, there's foodborne uh, exclusions. Um, there's any number of exclusions that may come into play, but the first stop, like I said, the first stop after getting through the front door is usually the virus exclusion. Do we have it or don't we have it? And frankly, a lot of folks are surprised to find whether or not they have it. So. And I assume this exclusion applies to both the commercial general liability and the property uh, insurance? Actually, no, it's far more common, far more common uh, in, in the property policies with the business income loss coverage. Uh, it's really not common to find it in a general liability policy. Again, there are other exclusions that are in certain instances being argued to be the equivalent of a, uh, of a virus exclusion in the general liability policies. But it's, it's very rare in my experience to see a virus exclusion like the one in the property policy in the general liability policy. I think that is a very important takeaway for anyone listening, uh, especially because in reopening of office buildings, shopping centers, and other facilities, uh, one has to adopt a certain standard of care uh, to make sure uh, that uh, there are certain uh, protections in place for people entering those facilities. And there may be someone that sues a building owner or a tenant because they think they were exposed to COVID-19 in the facility. And that's where the indemnity provision of an insurance policy, specifically a commercial general liability policy, may have real value. Well, and I'll, and I'll offer up to you that sometimes uh, policyholders that have, don't have an experience handling you know, pursuit of coverage under a liability policy, they can, they can kind of mix up the defense against the underlying claim 
for instance, I have been, I am allegedly negligent for allowing someone to be contaminated with, do I have coverage for that claim? And it's critically important for a commercial policyholder or an individual policyholder uh, to isolate and say the, in the first instance, the first benefit of a general liability policy is a, a, a defense funded by the insurance company, which in and of itself, in many occasions, especially with protracted litigation, can be as valuable, if not more valuable, than the ultimate coverage for a judgment entered or a settlement reached in that underlying suit. So uh, the policyholders I encourage to separate out, do I really think I have liability? Do I think this claim is rubbish? <laughs> and then look at, does that claim, if it were valid, I'm gonna you know, put on my artifice hat and say, if that claim were valid, would it be covered? And if it is, then you're entitled to, in the first instance, an insurance covered, uh, insure defense or insure funded defense. And frankly, if you're right, that claim was rubbish, you've gotten off scot-free. You've gotten a funded defense and a defense verdict uh, or an insurer funded low settlement and, and you're protected fully. Great, uh, a great uh, discussion of the value of an insurance policy. It is not only to deal with paying out uh, claims, but often the cost of the defense pays for the value of the policy. Um, Brad, it's not just the contamination or virus exclusion. There are other things that you should look at, and that deals with civil authority and governmental action. So there are ways to get yourself out of the box of a virus exclusion and try to fit it into, I'll say, an exclusion from the exclusion or something that's included and not excluded. Can you discuss that? Yes, the, the, as I referenced the front door, the, the front door is you know, direct physical loss of or damage to covered property. And then the, whatever the back door, I guess, is an exclusion. Uh, if you find yourself going through the front door and getting pushed out the back door, there are uh, kind of extraneous to the core coverage. There are what do they call additional coverages, fittingly named. Uh, one of the additional coverages under most standard form property policies, commercial property policies, is one is a, is a coverage, separate coverage for civil authority. Oversimplified, the civil authority coverage provides coverage for to a for damage or for sorry, for damage to a property, the inability to access a property, to use a property, resulting not from damage to that property but to da damage to an adjacent or nearby property, usually within a, within a specified radius, that causes the civil authorities to say, you know, you may not enter this area in th these properties in this radius. So you've essentially lost the use of the property by virtue of the civil authority. The, the easiest example, and, and the tragic one, of course, is 9-11, where there's a, a giant radius around the World Trade Center that was not accessible for for months if not years and uh, that was simply due to the fact that the government said we've had a loss a tragic loss and you may not go in this zone of danger so now it gets a little thornier and i don't want to get too far in the weeds here but it gets a little thornier with regard to with regard to a COVID situation because technically and under many or most policies the loss to the nearby or adjacent property needs to be of the type that would have been covered under the insured properties coverage. And so the question then is, was there real contamination? Was there direct physical loss of or damage to a block, a building a block away? What was it? What caused it? And there's a lot of arguments over right now, as you might imagine, over these civil mandates, whether they're city, county, state, 
And you know, what do they say? What are they based on? You might crawl into the inner guts of the, of the government mandate and say, is it based on a finding that there is pervasive COVID contamination, say in a downtown core? And if that is a finding, then you have a much easier argument that there was in fact this covered type of loss and we are therefore within the radius of a covered loss and therefore entitled to uh, civil authority coverage. So there's a lot to look at, there's a lot to parse, but that's the nutshell, is if you're prevented from going in your building, you may have a covered loss under the civil authority coverage. And I think you're trying to draw a distinction between that potential coverage and a general proclamation uh, by um, cities or the state uh, that says that certain businesses cannot be open simply because uh, there is a general prevalence of, of uh, exposure to COVID-19. Well, yes, and in fact, that argument kind of can bring you back into the main coverage we talked about. Is that a, I mean, and again, not to get too in the weeds here, but is that a direct loss of uh, covered property? It's, is that a loss of use? I, independent of what happened across the street at a building, if my, you know, governor said that my restaurant may not be operated. Have I, have I lost the use of my covered property? I, I cannot use it for the purpose that I, I operated and insured it. So that's a really, that goes back to, is that, that might not even be a civil authority issue. That might be in the main coverage. Uh, I know, again, that gets in the weeds a little bit, but, uh, but those edicts, we'll call them, um, really can, can, can result in a, in a fundamental loss of the intended use of the property that can be covered under the main coverage. Uh, and again, just to bring everyone back, there is ongoing litigation in many state and federal courts dealing with this. I think, Brad, you, your conclusion would be uh, this is normal. Many uh, insurance clauses are often challenged in courts, and sometimes the findings are contradictory between states. Um, uh, and the expertise you can bring is just trying to predict, not even predict, but offer a trend where those cases are, are coming out. That's right. They, as I said, there are you know, state trial court cases, state appellate cases. There are federal trial court cases. There are federal appellate court cases. They're working through the system in every jurisdiction imaginable. They, we get little notifiers every day of new ones filed and new decisions reached. These are the things that folks that do the insurance wonk stuff that I do, we monitor. And sometimes, you know, my, you know, I, I usually suggest that an insured, unless they have a concern about the claims history, about premium increases if they make a claim, cancellation, non-renewal, those are valid considerations for any business. But, you know, barring that, uh, I think there's a strong consideration or a strong basis for saying, make the claim, have your hat in the ring, so to speak, with a carrier, uh, and then monitor decision law to see if it positively affects uh, coverage under the type of policy and under the type of circumstances a given policyholder faces. And I think that's the main takeaway from this podcast, or one of the main takeaways, which is, as Brad qualified it, consider your claims history and the impact it may have on your claim history with the insurer. But the general advice is to file a claim to get your claim in the ring because these things will shake out. And if you haven't filed a claim, well, you'll be at the back of the trains or you might even be outside the train when these things get determined. Yes, you, you want to have made a claim. Um, rarely, but occasionally there are time limits for making a claim, but there certainly are time limits for filing a suit for coverage 
or say wrongful denial by the carrier. So you want to keep an eye on that. Usually policies, commercial property policies have a one or two year essentially contractual statute of limitations that say within this date of law, you know, this period of time uh, after a date of loss, you must file suit if you're going to contest coverage. So be aware of that. But the key thing, the first instance, and I want to distinguish is making a claim is not filing a lawsuit. Making a claim is submitting a claim under your notice requirements of your policy, letting the insurance company investigate as it should. It shouldn't just summarily deny your claim. It should be at least asking a few questions and, and letting, letting the carrier issue its written coverage determination. Again, mark your calendar. Consider the first day you had your shutdown and know your statute of limitations under your contract and monitor so you don't let that slip. Um, but by and large, just because you make a claim, and even if you get a denial, it doesn't mean you have to file a lawsuit. That is expensive. That can be protracted. And frankly, at this moment, there are enough cases out there in the pipeline that someone's going to get to a decision before you anyway. So it might be more economically appropriate and strategically appropriate to keep the powder dry, make the claim. You don't need to file a suit, except you got to keep your eye on the time limits. Great, great advice. Okay, in the minute or two we have left, Brad, can you talk a little bit about going forward? Uh, what are insurance companies likely to do in new policies or in renewal of existing policies? They know they have a liability. Aren't they going to try to close the door? Uh, it's an excellent question. And it's really kind of an underwriting market forces question that's still kind of playing itself out as new policies come up for renewal, as they now have for seven or so months, eight, eight or so months uh, since the pandemic uh, commenced. Um, my read on it, or my anticipation is, without actually having seen this bear itself out, is to the extent that there were policies um, that did not have virus exclusions appended to them or included in them, I, I believe those will become increasingly more standard form. There are, there are many policies out there right now without those exclusions, and I have a feeling that's going to be uh, far more common to see in, the, in just in the general package policy off the shelf. The second question is, well, can I go out and buy a policy now? Uh, that has pandemic coverage. And I suspect, as these things happen, the market for or the cost of that kind of coverage is going to go quite a bit higher uh, if they're available at all. And I think that's going to depend on the size of your enterprise and your kind of your risk, pro, your any business's risk profile. So I think you're going to see more standard virus exclusions. Those who say, oh, I see a virus exclusion. Can I, can I get that removed by an endorsement? They're going to say either that's really expensive or, or no. Um, and of course, the most important thing is to point out that whatever we do now, if, if, if business X has a uh, November uh, 15th renewal date, and that, that this pandemic, unfortunately, has already begun. And, and so it is the proverbial, proverbial burning building that you now cannot ensure amid fire. So uh, there's not going to be much uh, beyond looking at the current policies that a policyholder can do. Uh, with respect to this ongoing pandemic, because in various different ways, uh, the carriers are going to take the position either expressly or legally that this is a this is a known and existing loss that cannot be insured under future policies. That's my anticipation. Thank you, Brad. Um, it's just a pleasure to talk to Brad and get his expertise and to bring it back to transactional real estate. All of this has relevance to leasing. Uh, whether it's an existing lease or a future lease, and also rent deferral agreements and rent abatement agreements that we're giving to tenants. What is their likelihood of getting some uh, recovery from their insurance? So while we're focusing on insurance, I want to emphasize how important this is in the overall context of real estate transactions.
so thank you, Brad. And uh, as always, if anyone has any questions, please feel free to reach out to Brad or me or anyone else at the Buckhalter Real Estate Group. Thank you.